All right, here we go again. Welcome to Lock Screen Funk. Oh, wow, that was funny. <laughs> the Lock Screen Conversations. Yeah. And this is Uzo, and so, I'm here with. Let me let me start. Let me start this one. <laughs> gotcha. Welcome once again, number seven. Welcome to Lock Screen Convos. My name is Sinji, and I'm Uzo. How's it going, brother? How's your week been? Uh, it's been an interesting week. Uh, lots of learning, and um, I think it suits the theme of what we have planned for today um <laughs> how's your week been amongst being good it's been blessed grateful uh good news the family is great working is great can't complain um yeah definitely today's discussion is going to be quite an interesting one we're talking about getting into tech in 2021 lots of things to discuss here um you and i i mean we've been in this industry for quite a while. I mean, you've been in longer than I have, and we've seen so many things that have changed over time. I mean, if you, I mean, I'll, I'll give the floor to you, man. What, when you started, when you started getting to tech, like what, what was the hottest thing then? What was, what was the, what was the game like back then? Hmm. Uh, I started seriously, I guess, 2010, 2011. And um, I don't know if this was, immediately i i don't know if this was popular or at least to my knowledge at the time i started but rails ruby on rails came up very quickly and was like the hottest thing and if you're not learning rails what are you doing in web development well i was doing wordpress and um <laughs> it was uh it was a good it was a good word in the php space wordpress and drupal were having their fights for dominance um, Rails was the hot tech that you you need to be learning if you want to get that uh, six-figure salary. And everybody was a Rails dev or taking a Rails course or teaching one at that time. And um, that was the nature of the game. What about you? Yeah, so when I started, uh, the first language I started learning by myself was uh, ActionScript. That was with Flash. Ooh, and, I remember yeah. that. Yeah, and I remember we had this discussion back then because I was trying to be a flash developer and you told me, nah, focus on HTML. And at first I was stubborn, like, ugh, HTML is like so basic. That was back then, but I was so naive. And obviously Steve Jobs pretty much killed Flash on mobile. And so we had no choice but to pivot, right? So then I started learning uh, HTML, JavaScript, and uh, back then, jQuery was was very hot. I mean, uh, especially yeah. works Bootstrap and Code was a, a hot library to learn. But now it's like so basic. It's I mean, it's still heavily used. I mean, WordPress is still uh, uh, people still use jQuery for different stuff. But like, it's not as a hot commodity as it used to be. And um, the th the game has changed. And there's so many new tools to learn. So many new frameworks. So many. It's just like a, a much different landscape from when we started out. And I feel like for people getting into tech right now, sometimes it can be very overwhelming. And so hopefully today we are able to like bring, shed some light into that experience and hopefully um, paint a simple picture for anyone starting out in the industry. Uh, Wait, uh, before you do go forward, there's something I want to point out. Um, when you said that you were being stubborn about action script, I honestly don't think it was wrong of you to have made that decision because action script is a superb 
language and the flash environment is just was just amazing it allowed you to do so much more than html css and javascript combined allowed you to do so um the point i want to make before we go forward is that what is great technology today is not guaranteed to be the best technology going forward in future and and the and the the thing you said about the game changing that is constant and even I, I think I shared with you earlier the sort of pressures and changes I have to undergo right now. But I think that is true of not just this career, but pretty much every career you're going to face. We are in the information age. And as we learn more, we change and pivot and alter our strategies. And um, you're going to experience this as a developer, as a lawyer, as a doctor, as anything. Like if, if if we want to take COVID as an example, COVID really changed the way a lot of industries and fields work. And um, yes. I don't think that COVID is going to be the last thing that will make such a major change in our lifetime. So being able to learn and prepare for change and keep moving is an essential skill going forward. But um, our focus today is doing this in the tech space. Very well said, brother. I mean, that's, it's just, it's so true. Like it's important not to, I, I, I use the term falling in love with the tools because sometimes we fall in love with the tools that we've learned. And that's really because we've put in so much time. Let's say we spent so many years learning a framework and then all of a sudden we realize that there's another tool that could do that job better and now you're like oh my gosh i don't have time to learn something new but if there's anything we know in tech is that change is constant and the last thing you want to be is a dinosaur but um yeah i mean i, I also i just want to share this uh, piece of news with you um so someone who i had coached uh, last year and uh we had started working together earlier this year on uh, side projects for her. And she started learning to code earlier in the year in January. And to, um, today she told me that she got a new job as a full stack developer. And nice, like, oh, nice, nice. Yeah. It was congratulations like, to, um, I don't know her name, but congratulations <laughs> to wherever you are. Welcome yeah. to tech. We're, we're excited to have you. Definitely. I mean, I was just over the moon. Like she literally was just like learning HTML, CSS, JS. And um, she was like, you know what? I, she she told me she was putting 20 hours a week, you know, into learning how to code. And just literally last week, we started looking at side products she can work on to improve her tech skills. And then now um, she told me she had applied for a job. And yeah, she got the job uh, last week also. So yeah, full stack developer, good pay. I'm just like, it's just so exciting. And I, I love seeing people challenge themselves and get into this industry that sometimes feels like such a blur and such a confusing space to be in. So yes, indeed, welcome to tech industry. All right, so uh, let's start off discussion, man. So what do you, why do you think we should get in? Why do you think it's a good idea to get into tech? I'll, I'll give my own experience. So for me, I've, I've always been kind of like a... Um, I've always been a curious person as far as like as far as as far as learning goes. I mean, I'm always open to learn something new, learn new skills. And I feel like the time when I realized the tech industry was going to be um a huge part of my life was around 2007 when somebody 
in a Harvard dorm room, built something called Facebook. And he's just like a few years older than I am, but he had built something that was literally changing the world in real time. Like the way we connected with the world was, was changing the way we communicated, social network. Social media was essentially born during that time. And I felt like uh, it was it was affecting like the media industry, affecting publishing, affecting so much. And then even before that, there was piracy issues and it was the tech guys who were creating these platforms and were bringing like the music industry to its knees. And so I became very curious, like I wanted to know why um, these guys had all this power. And that that was my my my, um, my beginning the, the beginning of my journey. And so I remember what I did was I just went on Google and I typed in, you know, how was Facebook built? And I saw he used PHP, he used MySQL. And from there, that's when I started. I started learning how to code, reading books. I went to school to learn how to code. And so essentially I wanted to get into tech because I wanted to have a skill that I thought was going to be an asset going forward. And being a tech person, you can either be an entrepreneur, you can decide to work for another company. You just it's just so versatile in the number of things that you can do. So yeah, and so far I think I've made the right decision. I have no regrets so far. Um, what about you? Why did you get into tech? I got into tech because I I'd always been interested in computers um, from a really young age. But um, I, I think my original career choice as a child was mad scientist. And, um, he, you know, I, I figured, uh, <laughs> no, like, no joke. That was Dexter's lab inspired me. Um, and I, I, that was what I wanted to do. And um, I thought, you know what, uh, building robots and building all these things costs a lot of money. And so... Um, what I need to do is be able to start somewhere where I don't have a lot of expenses. And um, so the naive me thinking, you know what, I'll just be, I'll just work for someone, save up some money and then start my own invention company. And, you know, like that was the plan. And somehow I came across software and I was like, okay, cool. This isn't robots, but this is, um, I still get to build some stuff and talk to computers and things like that. And that was my interest in it. I, I, I really had no idea if it was going to be a, a well-paying field or any anything like that. It was just born of interest for me. But um, here we are, 2021. It's a lucrative career and the world needs more programmers. So grateful yep. to God. It, it just seems like there's always something, there's always a new thing that code can solve or supposedly code can solve. And when that happens, it means more programmers are needed. And it, there's no, there's no end to like the number of languages that are out there. I mean, we talk about um, code, uh, coding once upon a time, like you just had to learn a, a bunch of languages, or maybe just HTML and JavaScript, but now even just JavaScript, you have to learn like frameworks, you have to learn Node, you have to learn React, you have to learn Angular. And so sometimes it can be daunting. And uh, we're just hoping that- um, Sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> and it's daunting every every day. Like if you just set an alert on GitHub for 
new JavaScript libraries. I'm sure you'll get one every like day, daily yep. alert. I mean, so I, I I think that takes us into the next discussion I wanted to, to, to discuss. So what would, for someone getting into tech, there has, you, you need to know the reason why you're trying to get in the first place. If it's a hobby, if it's for a profession, if it's to get a job, because I believe that each of these reasons um, have different demands and different requirements. So for instance, if your hobby is, you probably don't care about getting a job per se, but you just, maybe you just like, it can be some obscure language that no one's really hiring for, but it solves a problem you're trying to solve. So maybe you like building robots on the side and then you can decide, you know what, I'm going to learn C++. Disclaimer, C++ is a, is a good language to learn if you're trying to get a job. But I'm just saying, let's say you want to build on the side how to build robots and C++ is the one you try, you try to use. And then you just build stuff, but you don't really care if they're hiring for it or not. Um, but then if you're trying to get into... Uh, a profession, then you you start looking at the the companies that are hiring, and then you look out for what roles they're hiring for. So, uh, but before we get into that, um, I feel like there are different kind of people that uh, different people from different backgrounds. And when I say backgrounds, I mean like their academic backgrounds that are trying to get into tech. So, um, I've seen people who are self taught, people who have no experience, and people who have some form of educational background in tech, so maybe in computer science or in um, mathematics or that kind of thing. So, um, from your experience, um, it, I mean, you 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 got you started coding when you were much younger, and then you also did go into you also did go into university to learn how to code. Would you say that um, your coding your when you went to school that um, that helped you in any way, shape, or form? <laughs> Well, um, if, maybe if I'd attended classes, I, I, it would have helped me, but I did not go to any of my classes at all. So um, I, 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 I can't, sorry, that, that's not my university's fault. That's just me being a bad student. But um, one thing I did learn about coding is that you... If, the, if there's an interest, there's a lot of material out there to find your way to get started. And um, I, I think programmers are one of the more gen, general professions where you can, I mean, if you want to be a doctor, the amount of textbooks you need to buy is outstanding. And uh, But to be a programmer, like um, half the articles on Medium are teaching you how to do something in a programming language or to accomplish some other thing um so you you you've picked a field where your ability to learn is based on your your ability to find info like or willingness to search and sit down and apply it so i think um maybe that might put some context it, it, i don't i don't think programming is especially challenging to learn but it is very it requires a lot of discipline over time yeah absolutely i think um for me um so at first i started learning by myself so i mentioned earlier i learned with i started with action script and it's very very similar to js as a matter of fact uh action script and javascript come from the same family of uh, languages called emacs script or something it's they're all from the same family so they have similar syntax and syntax pretty much means um language structure 
So sometimes you might see ActionScript and JavaScript and they look pretty much the same. Um, so yes, I started out with learning by myself and I was going okay. I mean, I got to the point where I could use a raise and that kind of thing. I think for me, I began to evaluate if I wanted to get a job, would my learning progress be sufficient? And at the time, I didn't think I was disciplined enough to teach myself all the way into getting into the industry. And so mm. I decided to go into school. I did a two-year program at Sheridan College, and it was pretty cool. It was a software engineering program. And I did, um, yeah, all the basics, Java, um, HTML, CSS. I did... Uh, and uh, one thing I will also say is that once you learn one language, so if you're learning Java, they you can usually be able to pick up any other language because all of them have like the same philosophies. They're all object oriented, which is basically how most programming languages are. And so, um, if you pick up Java today and you want a job in Python, you should be able to get that job because they they all have similar structures and ways of um, writing ways of structuring your code. Um, let's, so. uh, let, me, let me add some context to that. There are lots of there are lots of programming languages that are very similar in like if you can read JavaScript, for example, looking at C++ wouldn't be that like you'll, you'll be able to make out a bit of the structure of the code, same as Python and a bunch. But then there are some languages that are just complete outliers and like if you look at the syntax, it doesn't fit the the syntax that a lot of popular languages use, and it just looks like madness. Um, the the exact I I bring this up because the language I'm really really interested in Erlang is one of those. The syntax and structure for how it's written just just does not look anything like C or JavaScript or Python and it might take a little bit more um, elbow grease to get it. Haskell is another language that would be like that. Um, Haskell is a very popular uh, functional programming language. It has things about it that people get excited. The people in the functioning programming language get excited about, but the way to write a good Haskell program is... Uh, what, what a good Haskell program looks like compared to any other thing is miles apart. And um, just wanted to keep in mind that the, um, they're not all immediately identifiable. Absolutely. And you're, you're right. In, in, so you mentioned Erlang and Erlang would be, um, Erlang is considered an, a functional programming language, Haskell too. And mm -hmm. uh Java, C++, JavaScript are considered object-oriented. JavaScript is kind of like a mix of both. It can be object-oriented and functional. And so um, usually what happens is object-oriented languages tend to have similar structure. Uh, functional languages have similar structures. And so but when you compare a functional language to a to an object-oriented programming language, they will definitely look different in terms of like how the code is written. And so that's important, that should be important to you depending on what you're trying to achieve. And so um, if you're trying to get into tech, as if you're trying to learn how to write code, I would definitely say you probably want to start with object-oriented because it's a little easier to pick up and it makes 
a more abstract sense or just more sense in general. A functional is what if you're, or let me say, if you're in some industry, let's say in finance industry and you want to pick up functional, that's great too because um, those languages tend to be built for that kind of thing. So, yeah, I think um, if you're just starting out and you want to decide if you want to uh, be self-taught, definitely you want to be disciplined. And but I would definitely say it's not for everybody. Not many people try to self-teach themselves and or, or to self-learn, and they just quit after some time if they don't have that, uh, like someone to coach them, that kind of thing. But if you do decide to take it a step further and from being self-taught, definitely. Um, you can consider going to like a night school or something. And I wouldn't invest too heavily at first. I would say, you know, just take it easy and try and learn as much as you can. And then decide for yourself if it's a good, if, if you really want to invest as much time and, and, and money into going to coding school. Um, so that would be my own um, advice. And if you already have like a math background or computer science background, I mean, you already have the skills. You just need to know identify the, the the tech stack or the languages that you're trying to learn. So uh, speaking of stack and languages, what what uh, programming languages have you seen today that um, you mean, you mentioned Erlang. I've, I have my Erlang phase actually. Um, I still kind of do because of, um, I'm one inspired was WhatsApp. So I know WhatsApp is written in, in Erlang and I, that was the first time I heard about it, and I knew it was designed by Ericsson um, Telecommunications, and it's it was designed for, um, I think, for text messaging, and they basically built their uh, communication network in Erlang. Why did you want to learn Erlang? I heard about fault tolerance and um Making the making programs more reliable, and this is in language and and programming environment where they had invested a lot of resources into making fault tolerant software. So, and my my thinking was, I'm a bad programmer. I write things that crash all the time. It would be really awesome if there were uh, a, a program. There was a programming language that was designed to make sure that my bad code doesn't affect things. And so I listened longer and the philosophies of the people who wrote it um, shone through in an interesting way. Their ideas like let it crash. And it's like nobody who's writing a, an application is thinking like, oh yeah, no, let it crash. But then they go into detail to explain why let it crash as a philosophy is useful for Erlang language and how it allows them to attain insane levels of reliability. And we're talking about, um, uh, they said something about nine nines, which means that there's like, the, the, in an entire year, the server might be down for less than a second or something like that. And that, and this is with them constantly deploying code to it and things like that. Like you're, you send a new version to the server, it shuts down the old one, spins up a new one, does all that stuff. And like all together, the time might be one second tops that is missing in that entire year. And, you know, this is including power failures, hard disk drive crashing, all sorts of ridiculous things. And 
the the sets of principles they use to build this is now encoded in software just blew my mind so erlang um erlang won my attention and heart by those principles of writing code that's resilient to real world problems yeah um for me so i know there's there's the other um erlang based language elixir um uh, which yeah. is very similar to ruby and i know we had a discussion way back you don't it, you, you, because you're like ruby you don't like elixir <laughs> Eh, okay. you're, no, you're cor- you're correct, but like I think, I mean, man's got to grow up. But um, I think it boiled <laughs> down to I like in when I like I mentioned when I was starting my career, there was a WordPress. I was in the WordPress community, and there were lots of Ruby, Ruby, like Ruby and Ruby on Rails was the hot thing you want to learn. And I felt I got a lot of elitist energy from the people in the Rails community. Um, you're not wrong. So, it, it turned me off that community very early on. And um, so Elixir, which would have been an approach, like Ruby is Ruby and uh, Re- Ruby is a lot more readable than Erlang. And so being able to work with Erlang in Ruby syntax or Ruby-like syntax would have been great. But I feel like the, the people who are in Elixir community are the same people in the rails and ruby community that i initially had my dislike for and so this is just my personal feeling not being able to look past that and get a chance to work closer to the language i'm just like "Mm, it's those ruby people again don't worry about it (laughs) so i mean and that's um and that's a big part of learning how to program so community is a big thing in the sense that so when you start learning a new framework say you want to learn a JavaScript framework like React. Um, usually these frameworks have communities of people who share resources, learning resources on how to program in React. And sometimes some communities can be elitist, like they can be like uh, just not the nicest in terms of communicating and helping, helping you out in your coding journey. Whereas some communities are very inviting and they're very uh, open to challenges, open to, to helping people. And so, um that's in, in my experience so i've done mostly front-end development in angular and vue.js and i found that the communities in general are usually helpful um they have awesome documentation and awesome resources i can learn from and it's really helping my journey as a developer and so i think in 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 one's journey it's important to know as you're as you're selecting the language you want to learn you definitely want to look out to see if there are enough help um, enough resources that can help you in your journey because if you start learning a language that there there aren't that many uh, questions being solved online, it can be very difficult. You have to do it by yourself. You have to like go, go into the code and fix the problem. But a if you're the adventurous type, maybe it works out for you. You know, we, everyone has like their own approach to learning and growing. And so I think we to to, to get back onto the discussion: what should you be learning in tech 2021? I think uh, top of my list, HTML for sure. And if you don't know what HTML is, HTML is pretty much the the framework or the the uh, the layout for all websites on the net today. I mean, I want to assume ninety percent of websites are rendered using HTML, which stands for Hypertext Markup Language. And the next thing you want to learn is CSS. So CSS is uh, was created to 
uh, in a nutshell, style your web pages. So all the colors, the layouts, the uh, changing button designs, that kind of thing is usually done in CSS. JavaScript is it's a funny one. So if you ask me what JavaScript is used for 10 years ago, I'd have told you, oh, just to make basic interactions on your web page. But today, JavaScript is like a monster language now that is no longer a toy. It's like everywhere, and it's heavily used in like the banks and IoT, that's Internet of Things. It's used in the cloud. And so you can write JavaScript on the front end, which would be like your web pages, and you can write JavaScript on the back end for your server-side code. And so definitely a hot language. You can, you can actually decide to focus on JavaScript as your career and have a really good lucrative one. Um, uh, also, I know for you, uh, you're you're big on JS on, on JavaScript. What's your experience been like with JavaScript? Uh, my intro to JavaScript, uh, the beginning of my journey to the language was, uh, like you said, tinkering with web pages and allowing yourself to modify them and things like that. But um, the more I've worked with it, the more I've come to realize it has an even richer history. Like you said, ActionScript has a similar root language as the JavaScript we use today. But then there's also other versions and flavors of JavaScript. Like I didn't realize this, but all Windows machines for many, many years have been built in with their own version of JavaScript. And so you may like if you have a .js file in your um, on your uh, in, in your Windows machine and you double click it, Windows will try to run it as their own program. And you you most likely get an error because the the um, there's specific syntax and things that you have to use for a Windows J script. But uh, JavaScript has, funny enough, Node.js is not even the only backend JavaScript framework. There, oh, there's other there's been other projects attempts to use JavaScript as a general purpose scripting language for servers. So um, JavaScript has been everywhere for years. It just finally took, like it just finally took off in a bunch of domains, and it, there's now well-regarded frameworks you can point to for writing backend scripts for or, and building desktop applications for Internet of Things and doing stuff in the browser and other stuff. But um, JavaScript is everywhere in a, a for for better or worse javascript is everywhere we, we, we've touched on quite a bit on you know back-end development and front-end development and so just to give like the difference i would say uh the front-end development is focused on what you see in in, in that's simplistic terms and back-end development is focused on what you don't see and so you might also hear it must, might also hear the term server-side development, which is pretty much the same thing as back-end development. And then you have full-stack development, which is you're doing both the front-end and the back-end. And so uh, if you decide to go for front-end uh, work, you're looking at, you need you at least have to have your JavaScript on point. Like that is a necessity if you're trying to get a job um, or even just for your side projects, you want to use either of React, Angular, or Vue. React was created by Facebook. Angular is owned by uh, Google. 
And these are the leading frameworks today. Vue also is a hot contender and it's like the third option. And if you want to learn that too, it's great. And um, these frameworks are used to simplify and reduce the amount of time you would need to create applications. On the back end, for Node, for, for JavaScript, there's something called Node.js, which we've briefly touched on. And it, it just allows you to write JavaScript on the server side, which is code that talks to usually a database or something called an API, also called uh, an application programming interface. And so and when you're trying to get data and communicate that data to the UI or the front end, that's when you use something like Node.js. But there are far more backend technologies besides Node.js. There's Python, there's Java, there's C Sharp, there's C++. I mean, there's so many. And most of these languages also have frameworks that simplify and reduce the amount of time you would need to write server-side code. And so you don't have to learn all these languages at once in terms of like the backend programming languages. You can start with one. If you want to use Python, Python is great. Python is used in like data analysis and machine learning. So if you're a stats-heavy person, Python is an awesome language to learn. I definitely recommend it. But if you're comfortable with JavaScript and you want to focus on that, Node.js is probably your best bet. Um, yeah. Then the other thing I was going to say is to, if you want to learn full stack, you definitely need to make sure that your front end code is great. And so um, learning one of React or Angular, I'll definitely say if you're looking at getting a job, um, React and Angular would, are, will give you your best chances of getting hired right off the bat. But Uzo, you started learning with, you started uh, working with React recently, and you, would you like to discuss your experience with React? <laughs> yeah, um, I, I have, uh, disclaimer, I have used React uh, years ago, but um, the the community and the tool set has evolved a lot since my last time using it. And uh, it, I've, it feels like I'm learning something completely brand new. Uh, there's new uh, new conventions for how uh, data is passed around, how components are written, how they interact with each other. Um, it feels like a completely different environment than a few years ago. Um, so the, the uh, key things about React as a framework is that it wants to make rendering your user interface, whether it's your website or your mobile app or desktop application, the interface, it wants to make rendering that reliable and straightforward. And React does that, but with the principle of have, have your bundle of data that, or state, as it were, take the state of the application and give it to a function. And this function should be able to draw out what the application looks like. This, ren this rendering technique is common, not only in React, but it's, it's, it's one that uh, is used in the game development community. You, they have a game loop or game tick. And basically every time the tick happens, it just takes the data, this, the application state of the data and draws out what should be on screen, what you should be looking at, what should be moving and all of that and 
the exact position and colors and of everything that fun the function is responsible for. Um, that is also how Windows works for rendering its own user interface. So the pattern React is using is actually fairly common in many different um, fields or pr programming practices. It's just um, the context React focuses on is, or at least the uh, React for the web focuses on is web development, the browser environment. And um, now in doing that, in passing, managing state is one of the trickier parts of working with anything. If there's no state, you have a much more straightforward uh, approach because it always looks a certain way. Um, state, state is what complicates the matter. And React gives you some out of the box, React did not originally give you tools to manage state. You manage your own state, you pass it to React, and React draws it. But these days, it has become very clear that the state management needs to be intertwined with the, or the current best practices is that your state management is intertwined with the thing that is the, the thing that is actually rendering your application. And so in React these days, there's um, techniques for passing down state, uh, uh, moving that state between different components. Uh, what happens when you change the state? What happens when the state is is partially loaded? Uh, there are all these new conventions, tools, and techniques that um, that allow you to manage how the life cycle. Of your application and the data flow, and um, the in the in the few years I moved away from the community or spent less time in the React world, things the tooling and things have really really changed from the ground up. So it feels like even though it has the same name React, I'm learning something completely different, and how to use it and interact is completely different. But I'm sure. Um, from your experience in the Angular community, you've experienced something similar where there's a framework and um, as the framework is being used, the, the makers realize some things, change their entire approach and tooling. Um, and <laughs> there might be an uproar in the community, there might not be, but uh, things need to change. Oh, absolutely. I mean, when I started with Angular, I started with Angular JS version one and Around the time when I felt like I was getting into the flow of things, Google came out and said, we're releasing Angular 2, and Angular 2 was a complete rewrite. I mean, when I say a complete rewrite, imagine someone decides, um, I'm giving you lunch today, and we're having mashed potatoes. And then as you're about to get to the mashed potatoes, they say, nope, we're changing the menu, and we're giving you rice and gravy with chicken. So that's literally, it's still food, but it's like a completely different menu item. And right. that's really, it, it, it's lunch in the name, but what is for lunch is completely different. Right. And so what, what I experienced was, like you said, there was an opera, people were angry. Like, why would you go, why would you change the entire, as a matter of fact, it wasn't written in traditional JavaScript anymore. It was written in TypeScript. And so TypeScript is a subset of JavaScript, meaning it will compile to JS or compile to JavaScript, but 
um, the syntax is a little different. And so, yep, that was, but everybody had to move on. And so everything from Angular 2 up until Angular, the current version of Angular 10, or I think, yeah, I think it's Angular 10 right now, it's all been written in TypeScript and we just got to adapt. And one thing I definitely say about the tech space is you definitely have to adapt. There's no, I mean, you can't be, it's very easy to be a dinosaur if you're not learning something new. So unlike other professions where, I mean, I can say they're more standardized, the tech industry does have some standards, but things move really, really fast. And so let's look at the mobile space. Once upon a time, if you want to write mobile applications, you had to learn uh, Java for Android or C or Objective-C or Swift for iOS. Today, you can write mobile apps with React or Angular or Vue. That's just how you know the game changes. And imagine you're trying to get a job today and they say, okay, we write mobile apps, but you need to write it in, in React Native, which is it's pretty much React, but it's React for mobile applications. Now you have to pick up something new. And so usually most companies, I um, some companies are picky. Some companies want you to have the experience already. Some companies are more than happy to take your experience and they just know that you're able to pick up whatever skills on the job. And so that's something I would also say about getting to tech is that you don't necessarily have to have all the, uh, you don't necessarily have to have all the experience or know every single language. Nobody, nobody on earth knows every single language. I mean, you're always going to learn something new, but then always be prepared to learn on the job because you might be, you might have to learn a new tool that you didn't have in your previous work or previous experience. And now you got to pick it up to meet the needs of your clients or your company. And so that's just, if you're the type of person that likes to learn, I think that would be um, let's let's actually let's let's look into that. What what do you think are the characteristics of a, a good developer? And I would say curiosity. You definitely have to be curious. You have to be open to to learn. You have to be a tinkerer. So you, that means do you like breaking things apart and putting them putting them back together? Do you like solving problems? Are you um, are you adventurous in your way in, in a sense like do you get do you get uh, when you go on a website do you want to see how how it was built do you want to see how the buttons were placed um what what about you what do you think will be uh, some good characteristics of a developer uh i think a good developer or i think a good developer is interested in in tweaking um, they, 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 um, you might be happy with what's out of the box, but you're more likely to end up being a developer if you're interested in peeking at things behind the scene. And um, I believe a lot of one, one, because we're talking about this in the context of getting a job, we completely missed this demographic. But I think a lot of people came to programming because they were gamers they played games and they wanted to modify something about the game or they wanted to make a fan website or something of that sort something to do with the game or the community around the game and that drew them to tech um so being able to roll up your sleeves and dig in and modify things um or 
or have that curiosity about what's going on here. How can I change this or that? That is um, the hallmark of what makes a, a, a decent developer, in my opinion. I, I agree with you. And it's, it, you're right in the sense that, um, you know, we have been talking about getting into tech because you want to get a job, but there are also, besides just, you know, monetary reasons, you might just like code, you might just like to build things and you might not necessarily have, and if you're that kind of person, you don't necessarily have to use the most trendy framework or you just want to use the right tool for the job. And so gaming, for instance, C++ is heavily used in the gaming industry. And right, you might just care about creating mods or modifying certain scenes in the video game. A C++ is amazing for that. And I actually feel like sometimes coding for the fun of it is much more enjoyable because when you're doing that, you're not bound by all the heavy requirements of like all these companies saying you must have five years experience in this uh, or 10 years experience in that. That just like, I feel it narrows down your hiring pool and your talent pool. I think companies should be more open to hiring people who may not have as much experience, but at least have that capacity to learn and just that work ethic. And which is why today I was really excited about the, uh, the person who told me about her current offer because she only had about four months learning experience, not even like major coding experience in another company, just four, four months experience of just working on something 20 hours a week. And now she's just gotten a job. And so I think the opportunity is, is important, but there's far more rewarding experiences besides just getting a job in, in tech or yes, most people gain tech to get money, but there's also that thing about building something for yourself. Maybe you build a software, like a calendar app to, you know, manage your time. And um, that, that could be great. If you have some programming knowledge, you can build that for yourself and it's an asset for you. And interestingly, some people have actually built things for themselves and eventually turn that into a company. And you see that trend happen so many times. Somebody wanted to build some application to, uh, let's use, we use Ruby on Rails, for instance, DHH. Um, that's the guy who created Ruby on Rails. I can't remember the reason why he built Rails, but I think, I think it had to do with Java, right? So he felt Java several pages was too uh, complicated and he wanted like a simpler way of creating web pages and apps. And so he built Ruby on Rails. And today, I mean, Ruby on Rails is one of the leading frameworks. I mean, it was a lot hotter like a couple years ago, but I mean, it's still out there. And then eventually that framework was used with the company um, that he is a co-founder in, which is Basecamp. And they use framework, they use Ruby on Rails for Basecamp and they have a new product called Hey, Hey Emails. And um, yeah, this is just a, a side project that he was working on and eventually turned into a multi-million dollar business. And so not everything has to be about the job market. You can actually just decide to pick up programming for yourself, solve your own problems. And there's a possibility that you can become something big in the future. As a matter of fact, let me ask you, what, what, um, what in, in tech, uh, as far as like building things, what's exciting you of, of recent? Hmm. So today I did something weird or maybe not weird, but different. I 
you didn't realize this, even though it should have been obvious in retrospect, but you could make a website on your computer, but it's also available on your Wi-Fi network if you have that device's IP and port that the website is being opened on or hosted on. And I didn't realize this. I, I think I was in the process of doing Create React App. It showed like an IP address, like a local address, like local host, this port or this. And I looked at it, I'm like, hmm, that's interesting. And so I went to it on my phone and I re- I did load it. I'm like, wow, like, you're, like I could have done this a while ago. Maybe I could have made like a little app that we use in the house and I, I, I would, I wouldn't even have to worry about hosting or think about that. Just make a little website that's hosted on a device in the house and people in the house can access it and use it. And it could be maybe something that keeps track of what's in the fridge and you can update, you know, or like a a shared shopping list or, or something like I haven't really, it's just the possibility of hosting an internal website in the house. Um, didn't really occur to me until I saw that IP address and port and realized anyone in the same Wi-Fi can access it. So um, that is kind of interesting to me. It's it's, it's obviously not like the most, <laughs> it, it's not a very new concept or groundbreaking, but it just dawned on me today that there might be some possibilities if I play around with that. Um, I don't know if that counts. Yeah, I, oh, definitely does. I I got to um, experience that actually in um, when I was in consulting, and so we we had to like when we were building um, web apps, we would have to render it on both the on both uh, desktops and uh, on mobile phones, and so I had to definitely like use the same IP address, and as long as you're in the same network, Wi-Fi network, it should render. So. Yeah, that's definitely a, a great experience for you. For me, um, the things that I am interested in, think, wow, wow, blockchain. <laughs> so um, I have been looking into like smart contracts. And uh, I've, one of the reasons why I think it's an interesting space is because I can take my already existing web development skills and just add, it's not even like something crazy new. It's just, you know, adding adding a new component essentially to web apps, and so I've been looking. I just and for now, I just uh, learn how to write smart contracts on the blockchain. The other thing I'm trying to do is to create. Um, I'm trying to create like a, a a way of like organizing information. That's like the easiest, easiest way to for me to put it out there and. It would take me having to learn some machine learning. And so I am looking into like Python to like uh, summarize news feeds or that kind of thing. And so uh, I, I started looking into that this week. And yeah, for me, it's just like a personal thing I like to learn. And hopefully it uh, turns out to be a, a good project. And I, again, it's just sometimes so rewarding when I'm not building something for just money. It's just something that I'm building for my own consumption, my own uh, fulfillment. And, you know, but who knows the future? We never know what the future can be. Sometimes you build something just for your own entertainment and then it turns into something else that you never expected. And so, but you should definitely, I definitely do enjoy the, the art of just picking up a language or picking up a problem I want to solve and then going with it. 
As a matter of fact, um, let's segue into another discussion. Have you heard of like no, no code tools before? And that seems to be a trend I'm seeing now in the sense of uh, people learning to build applications without actually writing code. Have you heard about it? And what are your thoughts on that? I have heard about it. And um, I think it's a really cool concept. Uh, the like, I feel that as... I feel that a lot of things that we do as programmers is gluing things together, gluing uh, stuff together. It's They always tell you not to reinvent the wheel. Don't build your own database. Don't build your own this. Don't build your own that. So you're taking a lot of existing frameworks and concepts and writing a glue layer on top of that. And so it's not too hard to imagine or it's not impossible to believe that there could be we could build up to a level where the glue layer is no longer even in code and um, an example of that is node red where um, you use a drag and drop interface to write a program and node red is supposed to be able to interact with iot stuff and so you can have a simple program like if you press this button um turn on this light or you know send an email to this person and even building workflows from that node red is supposed to be an environment that allows you to connect and build a bunch of things without code and so having services that are dedicated to that that interact or bridge the gap like um ifttt i don't know if you've ever heard of it but yes. um, yeah, I would consider that as part of like the no code environment where it, you're allowed to bridge different services. Like if I do something on Spotify, um, like if, if I create a new playlist on Spotify, send an email, like email the link to my best friends. Um, if I, if there's a news headline from CNN, that contains Nigeria, send me an email with it or something like that. Like it, that allows you to achieve some level of programming or automation without writing code. And so I feel like there's a, a number of no code interactions that are already out there. And so I feel that enabling more people to access that is a, a viable future trend. Absolutely. I think the no-code um, environment, no-code space is amazing for people who may or may not, well, I mean, people who are still intimidated by the idea of writing code, and but they still have the desire to build stuff. And, Actually, even if you aren't intimidated by the idea of writing code, writing integration services for maybe, for example, Facebook's API. Facebook mm -hmm. is consistently changing and mutating their API, and so it might be easier for you to just be like, hmm, let me offset it to somebody whose job is to focus on that integration and I'll write my glue code on top of that. And if they give you a no code interface, I don't see why you'd want to specifically dig into Facebook's API if the no code interface on top is good enough to work with that you don't have to use programming languages. Right. And we're actually seeing um, people who are also developers get into the space. Like you mentioned, they have decided, you know what, I don't need to get into the the, the, the nitty gritty of, um, of a certain company's API. And so 
they outsource that into a no-code platform and focus on something else in the tech stack. And so I think it's an exciting space. There are quite a number of tools available to help you write code or help you build applications without writing code. So Webflow is one of them. Webflow is amazing for writing front-end applications. There's Bubble.io. There's Adalo. There's, uh, on the back end, you have, oh, I got to pick up some names now. Top of my head, I can't remember. But um, it's, an, it's, a, it's a growing space and companies are hiring developers in the, in the no-code, low-code space. And what's also happening is people are actually building startups or small companies with no-code tools. And you see them all over the place. I did say one the other day, uh, a company used bubble.io to build an application and the company earns about 30K a month in dollars. So these things are, are, are happening and it just goes to show how change is inevitable in the tech industry. And even for me, if as a developer, I shouldn't frown at people who decide to use no-code tools because again, it's making, it's solving their own problem. It may not necessarily solve all my problems, but I cannot discriminate, I cannot discriminate on somebody who chooses to learn uh, a no-code technology because um, it, it solves their problem and they can focus on something else that probably is more important for their business or for their career or whatever they're they're trying to achieve. And so, yeah, definitely, like, you can look that up, look up some Webflow. Again, like I mentioned, is a, is a popular one. And, yeah, you can start tinkering away and building small web apps and that kind of thing. Um, do you think as it's so in the tech industry, I mean, there, there are obviously many aspects. You know, you can go into AI, you can go into machine learning, you can go into front end, back end, and all these other, like, different, let me call them genres. Do you think it's uh, in this current landscape, should one specialize or generalize? What do you think? Uh, depends on your objective. If you want to get a job, I feel specialization helps because you can focus on an area and talk extensively about it and be practical and select good tools in that area. Um, that this is my, this is my assumption, not like what I would consider um, empirical fact, just my thoughts. But um, in general, like in if you are, I think over in the long run, uh, generalists tend to be the better option because you touch on a bunch of areas and there's a lot of um, learning and when if an if a, if a door closes in a, in an air in a field for example you're not locked in with all these specialized knowledge that has nowhere else to go um, yes. you mentioned earlier you started with action script and um, you would have been able to get some work if action script as a field remained viable and continued to remain open but as the door closed your ability to take that okay i see how action script works i see some things about the language this is similar you know like let me take this and you take that knowledge and now you're using the experience from there and you're now applying that while you're learning javascript and learning a new language for a new purpose that is um uh 
that that is a, that is more like the generalist approach where you're taking learnings from one area and reapplying them or reusing them or at least learning taking something from that for a new area um i think the people who tend to and envi- i i mentioned this earlier but i have um uh, this environment the game developers i and i'm repeating them because i have tremendous respect for game developers they are masters at networking masters at um uh algorithms masters at uh graphic rendering like they they do so much like what game developers have to do like a game typically renders 60 frames a second and so in one second there will be 60 times their code is the entire application essentially is being built and rendered um images are input are are brought in um models are textured um lighting light um rays are cast um uh, inputs are calculated and how it affects the game is measured. And God help you if your game has any networking component, which means it deals with the internet. So you're also dealing with like requests and you're dealing with lag calculations and compensation strategies. Like game developers are, to me, a, a developer's developer. And um, I agree. And they deal with a lot of very high, like very complicated graphic tools. Um, they're they're rendering they they do a lot of graphic rendering and in, in like third party programs that are specialized for that they deal with sound management network management a uh, a lot of things um, they are the ultimate generalists in the sense that like it is possible that there are people who know more about the network or about graphics or about um, other 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 things in a specific area but they have to combine this vast array of skill sets and put it into a working product that's cohesive on all fronts um game if game developers are the epitome of what a real developer should be um they can work in different spaces and deal with different tools and that uh, that model shows me the generalist ultimately is the place you want to be, but uh, for practical reasons, you start somewhere. You have to start in one area and get your foot in the door that way. And I think um, be trying to specialize in making websites or uh, building a certain type of application might be the initial way to go and be able to make some money while getting your foot into programming but ultimately you'll be a generalist you will learn about all sorts of things to make compelling programs i think for me um when getting into tech i noticed that companies didn't necessarily care about my love for erlang or you know certain they just didn't care about it all they wanted was we were hiring a front developer and we only care about your html and your javascript and so I was kind of like forced to think in many companies frame of thought, like, okay, I'm only going to focus on React or Angular or whatever. But what I find is that 
if you are truly, if you truly love the industry, if you love the game, if you love building things, at some point you're gonna see that there's some chink in your armor in terms of like you, there's there's um, there's certain skill sets that you need to acquire to actually do what you're trying to do. And so after a while, I started getting interested in communication networks. So airline, like I mentioned earlier, I was interested in how I could build servers and that kind of thing. And I said, you know what? I don't care if a company or companies are hiring for this skill. I want to learn it from my own usage. And what I find is that at some point, if you really, really truly love programming, even if you start out as a specialist, you eventually become a generalist because you start building other skills, you start learning other frameworks, other languages. And I think that just makes you a well-rounded uh, developer. And it's exciting, it's interesting. You're able to be uh, flexible, like we, like you talked about. And being flexible is important because tides will change. At some point, some framework is gonna die. No one cares about it anymore and you have to adapt. And so there's just, there's no harm in learning something new. And sometimes I learn something today that I don't use until like the next five years or so. But the mere fact that you even had some experience with that uh, tool gives you an added advantage to someone who didn't even try at all. And so for, for your survival in this industry, if you love learning, if you love building things, if you love trying new things, if you love solving problems, I would definitely, I definitely believe that at some point you'll become a generalist. But I will say that if you're trying to get a job, most companies would hire you for a specific role. So they might hire you for front end, they might hire you for server side. Uh, however, though, CTOs tend to be generalists from my experience. So they've had they've had they've had like pockets of experience in different layers of the stack. So maybe they've worked in UX, they've worked in server side maybe some product management. And so at the end of the day, that makes them a bit more well-rounded. So I guess if you're going to leadership, it does help if you have some generalist experience, but overall, either or is good. I definitely want to be a, um, I definitely want to have, I want to I make sure that I'm excellent in what I do in terms of my uh, profession. But at the same time, I do not want to lose out on just doing things because I love them. And that would make me more generalist. Um, let's discuss salaries. And so uh, everybody knows that uh, the tech industry is one of the highest paying industries uh, in the world um, getting in. And most people get into the industry for the money. And so would you say, in, in do you think like uh, tech work, do you think the industry pays rightly in in accordance to skill level, or do you think like companies should be paid more? I have zero opinions around salary. This is an area that I know absolutely nothing about and have nothing useful to contribute as far as I can tell. Um, I'm I don't I don't think I've ever optimized my career for salary, and um, I don't think I there was a the, there was a job where there's a time. The last time I was looking out for a job, not this current job search, but the last time I was out looking for a job, um, I ended up taking an offer that was um, twelve thousand dollars cash less, and um, 
the company didn't offer me any stocks or anything compared to the one I turned down. So it was at the very minimum $12,000 plus ownership or some level of equity in the company that I was turning it down for. So it's not like I've made or focused on getting more in terms of salary. And I haven't, I'm, I just haven't been the type of person that even keeps an eye on the job market. I was applying for a job recently. And when I went in for the interview and I told them what I wanted, the person, to, the the recruiter told me to up my request. And this is the company's recruiter. <laughs> They're like, uh, what you're asking for is actually below the bench line that other people are asking for. Like, of course we can do this amount. And so it's, it's, it's a bit embarrassing for me that um, I really have nothing useful to offer in this, in the conversation regarding salaries, whether I, I just know tech people get paid more than the average other profession, but um, is it fair for the work they're doing? Is it something that should be increased? Um, what are the expectation ranges? I have zero idea, bro. I'm sorry to say. What about you? Please school me here. This is this is a <laughs> blind spot for me. So um, I'll be honest. I used to. Okay, so. I really got I got into tech because I wanted to build a startup or and build my own thing. That's the, my true, true reason of getting to tech. Then you start working and then you you kind of like start working for the money. And um, and thankfully, I mean, I've worked in places that paid me you know, pretty handsomely and I'm grateful for that. But what I find is that um, at some point working for the money doesn't bring fulfillment and um again i i'm not trying to be all philosophical or something but at some point you realize that if you're working in a place that pays you very well but you don't have peace of mind you're worried about somebody firing you or working in a toxic environment the money really doesn't matter at the end of the day and so one thing i can definitely say is if you have the right skills if you have the right assets and you're constantly learning tech, you will get paid. And I mean, you have enough to put food on your table and hopefully for your family. That's for sure. We're talking about, you know, six figures eventually. That's pretty much guaranteed. I, I can almost take it to the bank. I can almost guarantee that if you keep learning and working your skills, six figures is guaranteed at some point. However, um, optimizing your career in tech for just jobs, I don't think it's I mean, if you're going to be something for 40 years, I don't think working for just a job is the best way to live. At some point, you want to do something for yourself. You want to do something that makes you happy. And so right now, I work for fulfillment. I work to make sure that um, it's not always about how much you want to pay me. I mean, I've had companies reach out to me not too long ago um, for salaries that are quite I mean, way above what I'm earning right now. But I ask myself, um, do I am I am I gonna am I gonna be really happy if I go to these companies? Am I gonna find peace? Can I do the things I'm doing right now? Would I work with a great team? I mean, all these things are important questions. But so it really depends on you. I'm not here to judge anybody. I think either approach is great. Um, if you're doing it for the money, if you're doing it for your career, if you're doing it for fulfillment, it's really up to you. You just have to decide what you think is important to your to your um, persona to your goals and where you're trying to go 
by the end of the day, I can definitely tell you once again, if you keep building your skill sets and you keep learning in tech, you will get handsomely paid. Well, I think we've talked quite a bit on this discussion. I really enjoyed this. We, uh, you know, hopefully we can get back and get maybe do part two of this and probably talk more about, you know, programming languages and how to build things. And I mean, this is our space, right? So we're definitely not leaving this thing anytime soon. Mm-hmm. Or, I mean, unless we're forced to, like like you said, wake up tomorrow and there'll be a no code tool and no developers are needed anymore by companies. <laughs> uh, honestly, this life, anything can happen, man. Yeah. I mean, I think coders are going to be here for, I mean, programming itself as, a, as an industry is like, what, 40 years? This is like 19, actually, I mean, modern programming, let me put it that way, has been since the 70s, I think. And so there's just too many computers, too many devices out there that need to be programmed, for lack of a better word. And so I think we'll still be here. But what I do believe, though, is the way we go about building things will constantly change. And so, like we said, like what we saw 10 years ago in in programming will not be the same the next 10 years. And we'll look back and be like, wow, what's up in the time? We were discussing React and Vue. And now, and maybe in the future, some next technology tool that makes our, our job easier. Hey, I mean, can you imagine if there's a tool in the future that can make us build front-end apps in like five minutes as opposed to what we're doing right now. I think anybody with the right mind would consider that. And so, but it's a growing space. I'm excited. And uh, I'm just hoping that um, I just want to continue to learn, continue to grow and and make sure I'm not a dinosaur. Yep. Yep. And uh, I would love to find new novel ways to to take what we're learning and apply them. Uh, It would be awesome to build... VR worlds, you know, like um, I, I, I'm real. One thing I forgot to mention is this uh, virtual reality. Yeah, yeah. Um, um, these. uh, Sorry, my in my stint, my little relearning React is also reminding me how bad my front end skills are, and I'm real. I, I, I'm the visual presentation of the things we make is also very important. It's like the packaging for the software underneath. And I realized there's a lot of like working with 3D graphics, working with like rendered models and things like that. I have zero experience with. And so like um, being even being able to make an interactive world in the browser, something like action, action script used to allow you to do is more possible these days with like massive amounts of 3D models available out there and um, canvas and context to be able to import them in and use them. But I have like just making a 2D layout with tables and (laughs) all that is still some levels of challenge. And so there's a lot of areas to grow with even the skill set that tool sets I'm currently using. And um, I need to be more explorative and push more. And I, I think ultimately this is what the industry is about, just um, making the most of what you have and pushing the understanding of these tools and what's capable with them. And, and um, maybe uh, would like to be able to do things that look appealing more so than just technically performing performing very fast 
Yeah, I mean, that's been, for me, it's actually the opposite. So, I mean, I, I think I've, I have quite good amount of experience in UI development, user interface development, and I'm trying to strengthen my server-side code. So building more APIs and working better with data. And it's like, just, just like you are, you know, improving your skills on the front end. I'm improving my skills on the server side. And it's just, again, just part of being a developer and wanting to stay updated, stay fresh. And I think what I'm seeing now is uh, people who are backend developers are realizing that they have to, like, um, it's, it's, I mean, there are jobs that are just focused on the backend, but I think more and more people are expecting some backend developers to have the front-end components also, which is quite interesting to see. And I think likewise, even though there are certain jobs that specialize in front-end alone, I I think I've done so much front-end work. I definitely want to do more full stack at this point. And um, it's exciting. I'm just going to keep, keep growing and keep building and keep getting better. Anyway, brother, till next time, this was an amazing conversation and uh, hope you have an amazing week. Till meet again. Looking forward to it. Take care, Tunji. Have a good one. You oh, too. wait. Before we go, um, is there any, like you said, you did a little bit of stuff with blockchain, but um, I I have, I, I think I sent out some packages for that in IP um, of the macarons that I, I, I got some really good feedback. Um, there was a friend that we, we gave it to in Georgetown, and by the time we drove back home, maybe 30 minutes away, um, it turns out that she's eaten all of them. Can you even say that?